Welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Adam, and with me today is our other co-host. I'm Scott. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get to the business right away, tell you where you can find us on social media. I'm going to hand it over to Scott because, you know, uh, always Scott's goes, uh, Scott goes first and we'll go ahead and get to our social media stuff and then uh, we'll get into the thick of this uh, new episode. Ah, well, you're kind to let me lead off. Uh, I uh, am Scott Phillips. I uh, can be found on Twitter at mscott underscore Phillips. Uh, that's where you will find links solely to, to film-related stuff, uh, generally not pictures of my cute little animals or what I ate for dinner last night or anything like that. Uh, I do uh, video reviews for a CBS affiliate in Georgia, and those reviews can be fi- found at uh, wrbl.com. Uh, and then, of course, I do uh, the majority of my written work and kind of deeper dives into stuff uh, at the movie aisle. Absolutely. Um, you can find I'm my personal accounts. I'm not going to actually talk about because I'm taking a break from my social media, but I'm still running the professional accounts for the B movie aisle. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, the handle is B movie pod. It's the letter B, the word movie and the word pod all together. No dashes or anything like that. Um, you can find all of my work, the written work, and also the B-Movie Isle podcast episode show notes on the Movie Isle, uh, themovieisle.com. It's all one word. Uh, you can also do the social media accounts. The Twitter handle and the Instagram handle are the same thing, which is the Movie Isle. Uh, no lines, no dashes. And then also Facebook also, there's a group. I keep on forgetting to mention that we have a Facebook group that posts this stuff from social media just because I'm, you know, so Facebook, ugh. but, uh, that is facebook.com forward slash the movie aisle. No lines or no dashes. Um, and with that, um, so Scott, uh, you were telling me offline that you found something pretty interesting about movie, uh, movie mm-hmm. has rentals. I didn't know that are you kidding me and no and the weird thing is is and maybe if i go on and look i'll find it but i i I have never seen it on the app no no and so i went to check something uh on movie for a potential recommendation Mm -hmm. and stumbled across this they just have something at the top of their website you know with the little things you can click on to go to different sections of the site and it says rentals and I'm like, what is this? And so basically a hundred, I think it's 121 films, which is a shit ton of the best stuff that they've put on this service. It's kind of like a, if you've missed it, you can rent it. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And the the coolest thing about it is dude, they have like seven films by lab Diaz that you can't find anywhere. Oh man. Dude, like that, his whole fucking filmography is on here. Oh man, like um I missed it when it was on uh the Criterion collection because uh, they had they had that same thing. And I think that aren't Mubi and Criterion or at least they used to be like kind of associated with the, uh, one another. It, they may be Mubi did probably a year ago. Mhm. A series on Lav Diaz where they drop like one of his movies a week. Mhm. 
And so they showed all these in the past. I remember it, but you know, his fucking movies are like mini series. I yeah, mean, it's they're like four hours long. Yeah. 400, 500 minutes, stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, you don't get a chance probably to squeeze in all of those when they become available. And so they have got from what is before melancholia, uh, Evolution of a Filipino family. Okay. Uh, an investigation on the night that won't forget. All I've seen that of, one. I, yeah. I've definitely seen. I've seen. I think I've seen his last three. I actually saw his last one at, or I saw his second to last one actually at AFI, uh, the AFI Fest. Which, I mean, that's a sit. It's a sit. I mean, you oh know, yeah, five hours. I mean, oh yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But- yeah, but movie, you know, does such a good job of of just curating almost like the rarest of rarities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like right now, they're doing like a Isabel Huppert triple feature. Mm, okay, you can get three of her, uh, you know, harder to find films on that service. And so, uh, uh, for folks who aren't familiar with that, uh, it's you know, a movie rotates on the site each day. And then it stays for 30 days and rotates off. And so you have 30 hand-picked, heavily curated uh, films available on the service at all times. And then they rotate off. And so the interesting discovery that I've stumbled across uh, playing around on a PC rather than my television uh, (laughs) and my Apple TV is evidently there is a rentals section. And so if one of these films eluded you during the 30-day period, uh, they're like 130 plus, I think, uh, films available on here for rental. And I would submit that a bunch of these, this is probably the only place you can find them from, from these titles, uh, I'm looking at and they're, you know, three ninety nine, five ninety nine. I mean, I think the most expensive is six bucks. Uh, the cheapest is about three bucks. And so, uh, this is quite a accidental find here, uh, while I was prepping for the show, uh, stumbling across the fact that movie now has a little uh, little rental division, That's... and so uh, yeah, so the curation on this stuff is is crazy. I mean, it's like I tell most people, they're like, "Well, they're only thirty movies at a time," and I'm like, "Look, I'm not talking <laughs> about like a Netflix kind of list where it's like you have to scroll through, you know, uh, seventy films to find the thirty out of the hundred that you would want to watch." Uh, you know, with movie, it's like, you know, they have 30 films up and you'd want to watch 20 of them. Exactly. You know, this, at any given time. So, uh, And also, like right now, um, they have a trial for um, it, it, it uh, three months for one dollar. Exactly. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah. And that's like that's like right out the 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 lockdowns, quarantines, social distancing, uh, whatever you want to call it, with some of the greatest films ever made for a dollar. Exactly. Like and then they also have a live stream that they show um, right now. They're uh, showing a live stream of uh, threads. I don't know if you've ever. Heard oh, yeah. Of... Yeah, 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 yeah. The British. uh 
um, what is it, like a nuclear holocaust-ish kind of movie. Yeah, harrowing to say the least. I'm actually, I was actually online right now looking at it and seeing what they, they actually have a live stream so that you can actually watch stuff on movie that live. So it's almost like a TV station, uh, yeah. which is kind of amazing. Um, and, and yeah, like right now, three months, $1, um, which I might actually do at this point um, yeah. because that's and we're not shills for maybe I actually pay for my, <laughs> for my <laughs> subscription. Uh, but the funny thing was, is you know, like I said, that you, it's interesting how you become so app based. Yes, that I log on to movie probably every day. I mean, it's almost like a little, you know, it's like having a DVD or something delivered to your office every day. Mm-hmm. And so I log on to movie every day, and I'm like, oh, what's the movie, movie, the movie of the day on movie. And uh, and see what it is. And it's just always great stuff. And so I uh, literally hadn't been on the site uh, in quite some time. And I go on the site and it's become a lot more sophisticated. And like you said, has all this additional stuff to offer. So, you know, you're crazy at, at three months for a dollar. Uh, not to add that to uh, your stable of things that you can watch, especially uh, given the current shut-in state of the world. No, absolutely. Um, and I mean, it has an app on uh, like iTunes and or um, Apple and Roku and uh, you know uh, mm-hmm. Amazon Fire. I think actually the Fire Stick actually has one too. Um, it's 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 definitely like I I think we talked about it or no no I actually talked because. Um, um, uh, Marie finally found Mubi and she's in love oh, with cool. it. Yeah. She's totally in love with it. Uh, uh, it's just her kind of like, you know, it, it's, it's the right kind of cinema for her. Um, and then, but the, the thing that I uh, like, if you follow Mubi on social media, you can see that they'll, they'll post occasionally about other movies that are playing in, uh, around the world, like that they have. And I can see why she would want the UK based one, because a lot of the US stuff that we get that we take for granted, like the indie stuff is available there. Um, Just like the same way that like the stuff that the indie stuff from the UK, Spain, France, um, uh, Asia, uh, Russia, like that we never get is here, like a movie exclusives and stuff like um like that's like that's kind of like the same way but in the UK so she's she's in like she's in heaven right now she's like i i get 30 movies a month she's like that's more than i can go through and it and it's true i mean you yeah, know it is rare honestly that there is something on there that i kind of go hmm you yeah. know and the amazing thing though is i mean you know how long you and i have been watching stuff and doing the film critic thing and and we've always been kind of the deep dive cinephile folks uh and everything like that it's amazing how many movies rotate onto movie i'd never even heard of no absolutely but then i'm just like what where is this how did i miss this and uh and just uh it, it, the the depth of their curation is is probably unequaled uh, out there. I mean, the Criterion Collection, obviously, but that is kind of its own curation that has been built over the years. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm talking about is, you know, just a streaming service going out there and finding unique films to put solely on a streaming service. Uh, movie is just, you know, the best. No, it it actually is. And um, you can just like, like, yeah, you're right. Like I was looking at the site right now and the site is like, 
it's definitely come up um, in the way that it, cause it used to be a very basic site. Yeah. Now, very, very rudimentary. Keep your costs down. Yeah. Kind of, uh, approach, which is understandable given the, uh, the kind of niche market that they're serving. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's just like the, the amount of like the amount of stuff that's here is like, it, it definitely reminds me, like, I'm like looking at it now and I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like some of this stuff is just, like and you just won't be able to you won't be able to get this um you 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 definitely won't be able to get this stuff yeah you know? yeah no exactly it's and and that is what's so interesting about you know movie offering the rentals is you always have that that remorse of oh damn i can't believe i let thus and so get away mm-hmm. uh you know uh, when i had a chance to see it and uh, and so this gives you an opportunity, at least with select titles that I'm sure they were able to, you know, cut streaming deals and rental deals with. Uh, you can you know, you can make up for uh, for those omissions. And a lot of them, like I was pointing out, the Lab Diaz uh, titles, you can't find them anywhere. No, they don't exist on physical media. You just absolutely can't find them anywhere. And I was kicking myself for missing a couple of those. Uh, back when they ran them, and so to see all of his titles uh, available in the rental section is is awesome. Because I'm going to go back and 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 fix that uh, for sure, and uh, get a chance to see them. So uh, sometimes if you're a, you're a super nerd like me, uh, when something pops up on Mubi, you know, check and see if you can find it anywhere else. And very often the answer is no. And so prioritize watching those titles because who knows when you'll come across them again. Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, we've talked about before uh, with regards to like going to film festivals. This is literally a film festival. Like they're constantly rotating. They're constantly rotating film festival. Um, It's kind of what I love about the Criterion channel is that every month it becomes this whole thing of like they – like the way that Criterion works is a little similar to movie. Like I'm starting to find out where they'll they'll have things on, but it'll be a little bit longer. It'll be like sixty to ninety days that they'll have yep. certain yep. things, but they announce them way in advance. Um, just like like movie doesn't do it in advance. They kind of like day to day. They kind of tell you yep. that they're going to be yep. doing something. Yeah, occasionally um, if it's like a series, they may tell you, hey, we're going to have three of this person's movies this month. Exactly. Uh, but they don't give you, you know, exact dates necessarily. Absolutely. It's like uh, Criterion in April is really kind of come up a, a, in a big way. Like they have um, they have the first three films by uh, Yorgos Lathamos that's going to be showing for a couple of months, uh, which I mean, you know, anybody I mean, we're, we're, we usually talk genre, but I mean, you know, we're both hardcore is so i mean yorgos is a guy who i know that like you know you're hot and cold about him which is kind of like the best like i feel like yeah. the best kind of filmmakers that leave you hot and cold but i mean his first three films mm-hmm. things things that if you didn't get them right away, like i haven't even seen his first film like that like that's that's the craziest thing to me is that i've not seen his right. first film it's because it's not been available in the u.s um yeah. and then dogtooth his second film which i mean i think we've talked about briefly which i think most people think of as his first film because yeah. you can't find the other one no absolutely um but that first like you know his first um his first film you've never like i 
I knew about it because I did a deep dive uh, once I was, um, you know, once I was a convert. But uh, Kaneda has never been available to us um, in the U.S. I mean, a dog tooth for until what last year when Kino decided to re-release it. At least you had the original Blu-ray that came out in I think it was like 2010. I mean, I luckily had it. You wouldn't even have had it. Or Alps. Alps has never been available. Alps never even played theatrically in L.A., um, which is his third film, which is right. like I desperately wanted to see it. Um, it's actually the last film of um, the uh, the actress that he worked with, um, the, one of the, the two actresses that he worked with in Dogtooth. Um, I can't even think of her name, but she was so good in um, Dogtooth. She was the younger sister, the one mm-hmm. that the one that the one that takes like beats herself with the thing because of Rocky and loses the tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, she's, she's one of the main characters in Alps. Um, and she just, I mean, she, she passed away, like literally, I think a year or two after Alps had come out. Um, oh, wow. yeah. Um, Angelica Papiulia, like that's her name. Hmm. Uh, at least I think that's the one. No, no, no. It wasn't that one. Oh gosh. Uh, then it was the other one. Um, Ariane Labed, I think is the one that died that passed away um it was one of them that passed away she uh but anywho um yeah yorgos's films are on uh the first his first three which if you really think about it like to me that's the most interesting stuff i mean because like after that i mean he goes to america he makes the lobster he makes um killing of a sacred deer uh you know he he does his bigger stuff but right to see the inception of this guy like you know uh this this director that's become you know quite a big uh quite a quite a figure in in modern cinema like it's kind of like what you i at least for me as as somebody who's a cineast like i kind of love to be able to go back and actually discover stuff yeah oh yeah absolutely and it's interesting like you say to watch a filmmaker kind of like in their formative years yeah, when they haven't quite found their style or kind of their thing, uh, to, to watch that, uh, taking shape. And so, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the go, oh, yeah, the criterion channel is just, you know, a given that that's an amazing place to, uh, to find things to stream. And, and, you know, I mean, truth be told the the production companies that are participating may be different, but it's basically filmstruck. I mean, they are not just restricted to the Criterion collection. I think a lot of people uh, think that it's just all 1,000 and however many films of the Criterion collection online, uh, and that's it. And instead, they're doing, you know, a lot of streaming deals with other uh, labels and everything and coming up with different series and different kind of little mini festivals and stuff like that. And so much like Filmstruck did, they're bringing in content from outside the Criterion collection uh, to offer uh, on that streaming service. And so it's just, you know, amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and what I love about Criterion is there are the Criterion channel. And I, I don't know about you, but did you get your bill for the the the, the annual uh, the annual um, re up for it? 
<laughs> and they're like, if you'd like to cancel, and I'm like, why would I cancel? <laughs> like at, <laughs> at this point, why would I cancel? But um, yeah. the thing that I do love about the Criterion Channel is is that their respect for uh, for their physical media. So like they won't, they don't have all thousand films on the streaming right. service. Right, exactly. Like, like they only have select movies that have all of their special content, and I love that as a film fan, as a guy who's a collector. I mean, you know, we we collect. I mean, you know, I collect. I mean, like we've talked about, like this the, this lockdown's not keeping me away from my physical media because, I mean, you know, if you if you read the news and it's really unfortunate, but we just don't have the broadband. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually they're going to probably start, start like, you know, throttling us, uh, mm-hmm. to, to SD. And when they do, I mean, I have so, I mean, like you and I've talked about, I mean, we have so many unwatched criterions, so many unwatched movies that, I mean, I want to watch things in high def. And the only way to do yep. that at that, yep. uh, at a certain point will be to watch yeah. physical media. Um, well, I mean, you know, I mean, isn't that part of what being a cinephile is, you exactly. know, exactly. Hey, I love watching movies. I just love watching them when they look shitty, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make any sense, you know, to me, it'd be like reading a novel and we're going to delete every other sentence. Exactly. You know? it, it's, it's so to me, you know, the, uh, the visuals and the cinematography and all of that. I mean, that's what separates it from being like a radio play. No, absolutely. So, uh, so if uh, you know, I understand just casually just watching, you know, whatever, just you know, I don't know, Friends or Seinfeld or whatever. You know, I'm not going to be bent out of shape uh, if it's not in the the highest fidelity it can be. But if I'm watching a movie for the first time, uh, I want that experience to be what it was intended to be. No, absolutely. Um, and and that's, I mean, like uh, the thing is, is that's that's what I want. And like, what's so frustrating sometimes is, uh, I don't know if you've, if you've done this, like any streaming service, that first minute is like crap because it's like adjusting the, it's a, or like that first 30 seconds. And even that annoys me because I'm just used to like, <laughs> I'm just oh used to like my blue, blue, blu-ray player. I pop it in and it instantly looks great. And I have a really great, I have a, like, I just recently redid my, uh, my internet, uh, my internet, uh, my wireless network to a mesh. So like I did all the studying and like took my time and found something that was really great. And even then, even with that, it still takes a little bit of time for it to adjust. And I think it's because I'm spoiled. It's like, I mostly watch my movies on physical media. Now, recently I've kind of like with this whole, this whole lockdown, because I, because I'm working on the site or I'm primarily in my study um, most days, I have something on in the background. So like my iPad has become my, my go-to default watching thing. And of course you can't play a Blu-ray on your, your, you know, you can't play, right. you, you can't play a Blu-ray on the, on an iPad. So it becomes about my streaming services. Um, and I mean, you know, great pictures on most of them, but it's just that it's that occasional, like <laughs> it's that dip, which never happens in Blu-rays. I mean, Blu-rays, yep. if, if there's a scratch or something, there might be a glitch, but it's never like a slow down, like you're all of a sudden I'm in VHSville or Betaville where it right. looks like it looks like it's not even uh, like 480, <laughs> you know, it's not even 480p. It just it just looks terrible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and also, uh, you know, thinking about like if there's anybody out there listening to this who's thinking about converting to a projector, uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. You and I have toyed off and on with having projectors as our means for watching stuff. Yeah. And the one thing that that you realize is the quality of the source becomes hugely important. Yes, it does. It, it I mean, it quite literally, obviously, if you're talking about, you know, blowing something up to 150 inches, 200 inches, something like that with a projector, uh, then if it's kind of a flawed source to begin with, it just looks that much worse. I mean, it'd, it'd be like if somebody went out and invested big time money in a, a state of the art stereo system and then wanted to play MP3s on it. Yeah. You know, it'd be like, why does my stereo sound like garbage? And the answer is because your source is garbage. So, uh, so yeah. So I, I noticed that anytime I was using my projector, uh, I was always projecting a Blu-ray or a uh, 4K disc. Yeah. And it's just, it's, you have to. Like, you know, like there's just there's no ifs, ands or buts about it. Like to me, it's like you like if if you want to watch something in a premium quality, like, you know, you have to go with physical media. Like, like I said, like day to day stuff, like when I'm watching when when I'm working and watching, it's streaming. Of course. I mean, I uh, like there are some exceptions. Like, of course, there's stuff that's exclusive to a streaming service that I don't have on physical media, so I'm I'm forced to do it. But um, it's it's just it makes more sense to just have, like you said, like I I have this I have this really really nice 75 inch Sony TV that's basically you know it's going to last me for a couple of years at least more than a couple of years because it has it's it has all of like it has hdr hdr 10 hdr 10 plus uh dolby vision um it even has 3d the capability of playing 3d it was one of the last sony's to actually uh be produced that um that that actually produced in 3d that uh, was 4k and 3d not together unfortunately we didn't get that far uh, which I'm still pissed about, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You and I have become uh, people who troll eBay, yeah, uh, for for like affordable 3D televisions, so that these vast collections of 3D films we have, uh, we can actually watch. Uh, with, uh, you know, uh, great quality. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, I mean, it'll be a cycle. I already know, like we, we've talked about this offline with whole thing with, um, with, um, with uh cameron and and the mm-hmm. seven or ten or however many friggin avatar movies he has um uh how that's gonna just restart the 3d craze over again and i would this, expect it to yeah. and, and this way it's gonna be 4k 3d which will even yep. be better um yep. so i i just i have the feeling so like i'm just holding tight with my with with my uh with my TV until the until Cameron releases his films who knows it's probably going to like I heard 2022 is the first avatar it's probably getting delayed again like we <laughs> at the rate that this is going it's going to yeah. be like 2025 when we see the next one um yep. but so if we could just hang on with uh older model uh 3D televisions until then yeah, no, absolutely. My, my uh, wife probably looks at me like I'm nuts, but I'm like, yes, my four-year-old television came in. I can unbox it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting. Um, like the way that I've been ingesting, I've been ingesting movies recently. Um, it's given me like this whole lockdown thing has kind of given me the chance to 
um, test drive uh, certain things that I've not like I've really taken a deep dive into Criterion um, in a way that I hadn't before. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I also Shutter. Like Shutter is one that mm-hmm. I've I, I it's didn't gotten better and better since it started. Yeah, it definitely has. Um, when it first started out, I I tested it out. I didn't care too much for it because it was more like movie where they had like a limited number of titles, mm-hmm. but. I think that they've still kept that whole thing of a, a very curated brand, but right. now with uh, so like the big thing that I'm looking forward to with this is the two big things with Shutter for me are Channel Zero, which I've heard nothing but rave reviews yep, about. Yep, yep. And then of course you and I know like you know that I have a huge affection for Joe Bob Briggs, and. Joe Bob's last drive-in Monster Vision stuff is all like a lot of it is available. So like I've been deep diving into like while I've like, you know, while like, you know, while I'm doing work, it's a great thing to actually because a lot of the films that he's doing I've seen before. So it's kind of great to like sit there and have like that back and kind of like Mm -hmm. really deep dive into Shudder and kind of look and see that. The thing that's most actually shocking for me is how much Shudder has kind of transmorphed itself into not just horror, but thrillers. Like, mm-hmm. like anything suspense-based. It doesn't have to be gore, like uh, like one of the things that I was really shocked and surprised by, but actually delighted by, um, is that they have um, they have a pretty big section of, of, like, thriller stuff. Like, but not just thrillers, but, like, foreign thrillers. Um you know, uh, f- French things uh, like uh, they, they have all of the Vengeance trilogy from Korea, uh, the Chan Wook Park stuff, which I'm actually shocked by because that's not really horror. But I think that Shudder has kind of done this great thing where they're kind of transmorphing their their brand into like not just horror, but what horror can be and what like what is considered horror which is a kind of a nice thing which is a really nice thing for me yeah and and one other good thing that uh that shutter is doing uh, it's funny that instead of going movie movie by movie we're going kind of streaming service by streaming service (laughs) uh but yeah but you know uh uh with shutter they also uh have started with films that have kind of finished their festival run Yes, picking them up to put on their service. The ones that you know, typically it's the foreign ones, the ones that American distributors aren't jumping all over. Uh, if you have a you know an American or English language horror film that is blowing up the festival circuit, then chances are good you're getting picked up in a way that will put you in theaters all over the country eventually. But there are a lot of foreign horror films that are excellent that you know no American distributor or really much of anybody is jumping on them to put them in theaters and so shutter has picked up like one cut of the dead yep uh which is a, a great film from last year uh one of my favorite films from gosh by now it's probably been two or three years ago uh is tigers are not afraid that yep. uh, that's currently playing uh, yep. lose which uh, played last year um at afi and i got to see which is kind of no it was i think it was two years ago Luz played in um was just a great uh great low budget um i think it's a spanish film if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. 
And then, have you uh, seen Cold Hell? Uh, no, I have not. But it is on it, my list. <laughs> it is. It it is great. It is. It's a great film. I'm trying to to see here uh, if I can remember. I was trying to remember country uh, of origin here. It's um, Turkish. Okay, great. And uh, it's Turkish it's German. awesome. It's it's like a a, a serial killer uh, picking on a woman. Uh, who has a special set of skills. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, and so it's like, uh, this is not probably the final girl that any sane killer would want to choose. <laughs> uh, and so uh, it, it's got a, a little bit of like a, a rear window uh, kind of element to it where like she witnesses from afar one of his killings. Mm-hmm. And so he's got to get rid of her. Only she happens to be like a kickboxing badass. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's 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 really it's 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 a good film, and so. Uh, but once again, you know, the theme to that is with one cut of the dead, uh, lose uh, tigers are not afraid, uh, and cold hell. All foreign films, yep. all foreign thrillers and horror films uh, that were not getting picked up by other places, and then Shutter is giving them a chance to to shine. And, you know, it really is interesting that I have often found that the segment, aside from just true criterion style cinephiles, that of genre fans, the fans that are most willing to read subtitles and try stuff from around the world as horror fans. No, absolutely. Absolutely. If you go to a festival and somebody says it's subtitled, nobody goes, uh, they're just like, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, what country is it from? You know. And so uh, horror fans, uh, you know, have a very, in my opinion, an experience kind of wide palette and are willing to try stuff uh, from all over the world. Um, I saw a great horror film at Fantastic Fest last year uh, called The Pool. And so at one point it was playing on Amazon Prime. And then I heard that uh, that was supposedly some kind of like illegitimate, like somehow Amazon had made a mistake and oh. uh, put something up without rights issues being ironed out or something. And so they immediately pulled it. And so I don't know that it's playing anywhere yet, but I keep looking for the pool to show up on shutter because it's a, a, uh, a horror film from the Philippines that is just amazing. And so it's just totally in shutters wheelhouse. Nice, nice. I think you actually talked about that one. Um, I'm sure I have. I've been singing its praises ever since I saw it. Yeah, I think that we actually talked about that one on our on our top ten. Like our, 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 I'm sorry, our, our, not our top ten, but our uh, twenty through eleven podcast or eleven through twenty, wherever you want to. But uh, yeah, like um, they've really, like I really do love. Like everything that I've been watching on Shutter, I've really kind of I've loved because it's like I said, it is definitely not horror. And and to go to like what you're saying about um, horror fans being the most open, they really are. I mean, I get some of the best recommendations from my friends that are horror fans, you know, yeah. the ones that like the ones that are true blue horror fans, like they'll say, Hey, did you see this, this movie? It, it probably made, it was probably about like 20 bucks to make, but it's so fucking awesome. <laughs> and you go, wait, 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 hold on. You watching a movie that costs like 20 bucks to make. And you're like, and like, you know, my cinephile fans won't do that. Like, you know, like, right. like they'll just, they, they don't 
like that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, low budget, da, 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 like to turn their nose up to it. But horror fans will dig anything as long as it has a great story or like they're the people that explore and find like new voices better than anybody on this earth, at least to me. They're really, yep. they really just kind of go in there. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's how I, uh, like, um, a couple of my, uh, horror fan friends wreck it, uh, like, like maybe a year before I could actually see it, um, Knife and Heart, uh, mm-hmm. like the French, like, it's like this weird French, uh, it's, a, it's a French film that's set in the gay porn industry, but it's like mm-hmm. a slasher the way that Brian De Palma makes a slasher film. It's very kind of reminiscent of body double with this great killer soundtrack. And um, it's set in the, I think it's set in the eighties and it's very much like, it's a really great slick film. And like some of the people that were recommending it to me, I'm like, there's no way like I would ever think that you loved this film and saw it as soon as they did. I mean, like literally, I don't know how they did it. They probably, they probably got like the French Blu-ray or something like that. But I mean, it's just like, I I love that about horror fans. I think that horror fans do not get enough. Like you're saying, do not get enough cred for their willingness to try anything. Right. And I mean, by the way, to bring this, Hmm? I was going to say to bring this part of the segment to a full circle. Uh, I just looked because I thought I'd seen it a minute ago. Knife and Heart is one of the three ninety nine movie rentals. Oh, nice! You see, there you go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and you're right; it's awesome. It's great. I actually saw that uh, at uh, I think it was Fantastic Fest that played that a couple years back. And so, uh, good film. And so, you can pick that one up on the movie rentals. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um. And, um, yeah, it's just like what I'm like, what pisses me off (laughs) recently is talking to friends and them telling me that they have nothing left to watch. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, yeah, I agree. I've, I've, I've talked to people before when we've talked about like, you know, when something like Parasite, uh, breaks out like that. And I talk to friends who, who don't watch many foreign films and, and I always tell them, I'm like, do you realize that if you picked a country by and large, I mean, mm-hmm. some of the very super locked down, uh, you know, communist, you know, uh, dictatorship type countries, this might not apply to, but in general, if you picked a country and especially a continent, you could never get through all the content coming out of one of those places. No, no, you couldn't. And you would learn so damn much about the country. Yep. So and and, and that's what I love about it. What mm-hmm. I love about it is, is you're not only are you, are you seeing like a unique voice and a unique film, uh, because it's somebody who has, does not have the life experiences that you have and vice versa making a film, but it's also the, the culture like you're talking about, you get them because you spend some of the time sometimes going, Oh, so you mean like over there, it works like X, Y, and Z, you know, you're trying to kind of piece together the context a little bit. Yep. And, and so, yeah, so I mean, you know, as, as nerdy as it sounds, it's educational (laughs) frequently. No, absolutely. uh, Along with, along with being entertaining. And so one of the things that I sometimes recommend, uh, to my friends who, who may be leery of foreign films is watch filmographies. 
Yep. Like my friends who dug Parasite. I'm like, dude, go watch the rest of Bong Joon-ho's movies. If you dug Parasite, you're going to like all the other stuff that he made. And you're going to see, you know, a sci-fi film, a creature feature, uh, one of the best serial killer movies ever. Uh, you if know, you can just find go, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just go watch, you know, all of Bong Joon-ho's movies. Uh, and then we'll move on to, you know, another filmmaker in another part of the world. Exactly. No, no, absolutely. Um, I, but I, I mean, you were saying the same thing about Yorgos Lanthimos. That's exactly the way uh, that I got introduced to his stuff. I want to say for me, I was late to his party. I want to say the first thing of his I saw was the lobster. Ah, OK. OK. And so then I was like, ooh, this is like way interesting. I need to go see his other stuff. Yeah. And so that's very often when my friends are like, dude, where do you come up with this stuff that you watch? I will find a filmmaker, a cinematographer, a writer, something like that, who really bowls me over in a film or two and say, man, I got to go watch some more of this person's stuff. And so it will, by definition, kind of lead you into really cool stuff that to the outside world is probably super obscure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and like, like, um, to your point, uh, what I love is I do love that in like Yorgos with Yorgos in Yorgos's case, he really kind of like when I saw the movie, it forced me to do research because like, like the first movie I saw from him was, was Dogtooth. Um, it was actually, uh, it was kind of funny because I still remember it was reading James Rocky, the, the not the late great, but he's no longer like, he's no longer a critic. Um, but James Rocky did this amazing review of Dogtooth and I needed to see it. So when I saw it, I had so many questions about why this movie was made. And then I found like, I found myself deep diving into Greek culture at the current time and had no idea the political upheaval that was happening and then became a huge thing. Um, and how it was a response to that. Um, and like, that's the kind of thing that I love about like about cinema is that some people can look in and just inactively watch it and just watch Star Wars movies. Right. And that's fine. I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hate on somebody for that. But for me, it's a way, it's an entry point into culture and learning more about other societies because to be, be, to be perfectly honest, I don't have the money to travel the way that I would love to travel. Or, sure. And also I don't you have could now. Oh yeah. I could now. <laughs> I could definitely do that now. I don't think I'm going to fly to Tokyo for a dollar at this point. <laughs> I don't think that my wife would really love that. Uh, she yeah, probably, not, not a, probably a good idea. Uh, no, no. It, um, but if I want to learn about other cultures and also like, like, you know, to be quite honest, I, I'm all, I'm, I'm really fear based and I have a lot of these anxieties like, you know, I'm going to end up like like being kidnapped someplace or I'm going to end up with some kind of like bug and like dying on the toilet for fucking 38 hours because I ate something in Morocco. But I love there's been too much body horror in your past. Shit, too much, too much Cronenberg. And now we got a new Cronenberg come. The son of Cronenberg is coming and he's doing about the same weird ass things with body horror. That Um, that sounds like a horror movie unto itself. Son of Cronenberg. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? Could you just imagine a documentary between those two? Because I can only imagine that they both kind of talk in that same weird, stilted, Canadian, polite manner. Um, But it's like, yeah, like I find myself like 
you know, and this is where, like, for me, what I love about the, like, bringing it back to, like, the physical media and the Criterion Collection is, like, I love the booklets. I love the essays because that actually gives me context for these movies, even movies that I've seen a hundred times. Um, sure. You know, oh, well, I mean, it's it's fascinating. That's one of the things that I like most about being able to attend Q&A's at film festivals. Mm-hmm is, you know, they will ask if they're a good interviewer, they will especially ask the foreign filmmakers kind of cultural things and things like that that we might not know. And so uh, one of the most interesting ones I ever sat through was for Burning. Oh, uh, the and, Korean and, film. The, yeah, the and Stephen Young was there. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Unfortunately, the filmmaker wasn't there, but he was there and was able to talk about the experience of working uh, on that film. But he would say things like, well, what if I told you X was true in this part of the world? Does it change the way that you just interpreted that film? And you'd go, oh, oh, okay, you know, and sometimes it literally opened doors like, oh, God, I wondered what that part was about. And you just literally didn't have the cultural context to fully get it. And then other times it's more on an interpretational level. Like, you know, Bong Joon-ho has said that the food references in Parasite are class oriented. Oh, that there are references to like um, the uh, the dish that the wealthy mother uh, when they're coming back unexpectedly mm-hmm. uh, from their busted camping trip and are going to surprise our, our family that is squatting in their house. <laughs> yeah. And she requests this meal and uh, uh, for the son. And apparently the son loves it because it's just almost like, I wouldn't say junk food, but it's like lowbrow food. Uh, And so the point of it is rich mom doesn't have any idea how to make it because that was not in her life. Yeah, because she was rich. Yeah. And so even but even uh, the housekeeper mom is like, why does she think I automatically know how to make this? And it's not why does she automatically think I'm a cook? It's why does she automatically think that I'm in the social strata that would eat this all the time? That is definitely interesting. And... Yeah, and so so sometimes you get you know the, a, a cultural little nugget uh, that then makes you go, oh, okay, you you get that film kind of on a deeper level. No, absolutely. Like like th- that's what I love. Like I love getting context because like. And and here's here's where it hits most is comedies, like, like really like like that's why comedies don't travel. And I think that that's like something that like you know I think that what I love is watching a comedy, and sometimes being mystified, but I know that it's funny, and I just don't understand the context of it. Um, right, right. Like, there are times that you can tell somebody dropped a joke, and you're just like, I don't get that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but it also helps me to understand a culture, like like, um, like, like bringing it back to to someone that you just talked about. Like, she's probably, like, like she's probably one of my favorites. She's, like, the queen of acting to me, Isabel Huppert. Um, she that woman has done a lot of like comedy 
in France. And if you watch, if you if you're a serious diehard Isabel Huppert fan, of course you're going to watch everything, not just the serious stuff, because you kind of want to see everything in context, right? Um, and it's always funny to me to watch French comedies because there's there's something completely different about what they find funny as opposed to what we find funny um and it's not it's not like the jerry lewis slapstick stuff it's just literally cultural differences it's like like there's a lot of they have a lot of bedroom romance comedies that are considered light comedies because in what i didn't know and what i think what a lot of people don't know about in france um is that it is very normal for a man to, there's a couple of things like men date or marry remarry very young women and then also there's this whole thing of like of like cheating cult like I, I wouldn't even call it cheating culture like this mistress culture that they have where a man has a mistress and a lot of their comedies are based off of this stuff and so it can be like <laughs> are you saying you think your wife wouldn't find that to be that funny exactly <laughs> I don't think anybody's wife finds that funny but oddly in France they're just like ha, 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 this is funny and I'm like yeah well you know it's kind of like the old uh, the old like mobster movies yeah where it was just almost like a given that you had a wife and then you had this woman on the side and the <laughs> wife knew just not to ask. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I tease my wife about those kind of things sometimes. And, uh, but I do it in the form of, I'm like those poor guys. I say, can you imagine having to deal with two women at the same time? <laughs> um like all of these movies are like set up for like so like this is the cultural difference is that these like some of these light comedies are like fucking setups for like genre films in in america like these are like yeah. psychosexual thrillers from the 90s and shit um, yeah, exactly <laughs> your wife killing your mistress kind of a thing it, seriously it's like and stuff the french it's a comedy yeah it's a comedy like there's like like but in our in our neck of the woods it's all like it would all be genre it'd be something that joe bob briggs would cover i mean literally would would be something like that um right. <laughs> and, like so like with that i think that it's kind of like we've done our thing with the whole art uh, like you know and and don't get me wrong, Scott. You and I could probably talk another three hours about this stuff. Uh, oh, absolutely. I have to evangelize every now and then for, for foreign films. But uh, for people who that's just not their bag, uh, it can get a little bit tedious. So I'm uh, I'm happy to, to shift to some of our uh, genre picks that we were going to recommend uh, for folks who uh, – Say don't want to watch, uh, you know, eight hour film from the Philippines. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. True. I don't know why. But, you know. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. Do you have you have some recommendations then? I take it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing that I was going to going to recommend and this gets kind of into my idea of of filmographies, but but not in a major way, uh, which is, you know, sometimes I like to pair films. Yeah. You know, like say, what would be a cool double feature or something like that? And so, one of the actors that I've just always loved is John Hawks. Oh yes, and, and you know, and of course he's great. You know, he he kind of at first, I, and I think it's just because he's so gaunt. You know, he's just so naturally thin mm -hmm. uh, that he wound up kind of playing like these, you know, meth head drug dealer, uh, you know, kind of rural. Uh, villain type characters, and it's probably because he did it so damn well in Winter's Bone. Oh, such uh, a good he film! Kind of got typecast that way. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I think he was born to do is play a private eye. 
I mean, oh, yeah. he just he just reeks of of gumshoe, you know. <laughs> uh, and so uh, there are two good movies out there. One of them on Netflix, and uh, one of them that is actually now a rental that was on Netflix for forever, but I, I can only find it uh, on iTunes and Amazon and things like that. And uh, the first one is a film called Small Town Crime. Okay. Have you uh, have you seen that? Uh, no, it, it has been on my list because, of course, you know we've talked about John Hawks and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's great. It, it's just a great, you know, PI kind of film, and it's really weird because I, I look for it on Netflix, mm-hmm. and sometimes the the thumbnails that they use or whatever clearly they're trying to emphasize a particular star. Mm-hmm. Like somebody that their metrics tell them is the hotter star of the cast. Yeah. And so John Hawks is kind of an under the radar. I mean, it's like everybody recognizes him, but nobody really knows who he is. And, uh, and, and, but I just think he's a fabulous actor. But if you look up small town crime, the, the thumbnail is Octavia Spencer. <laughs> and and she's holding, and she looks like she's like holding, like, I don't know, like a bowl of, pancake batter or something i mean i don't know what the shot is Mm. from the movie that must have been like a conversation taking place in the kitchen or something uh but when i looked at it i was like oh this isn't the movie that i thought i was talking about this is some kind of octavia spencer playing you know ms marple or jessica fletcher or something yeah and uh and the bottom line is no it's just whatever reason the thumbnail has little or nothing to do with the film other than octavia spencer is in it uh, and so small town crime is, is playing on Netflix. And if you see that little thumbnail, click on it and you will eventually see John Hawks's name in there. Uh, but it's really good. It's like, um, uh, kind of in the category of what I call rural noir. Yes. And, Goth- uh, it's, Southern it's Gothic. Like, Would you say Southern Gothic yeah, yeah. or more? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, it, it's just in the sense of small scale, just okay. like the just like the title says, small town crime. This okay. isn't some guy walking the mean streets of New York or L.A. or something like that. But it's not like justified, you know that ah, kind of a, okay. that kind of a rural noir kind of vibe to it. Uh, so, uh, but it, it's a, it's a really good film and uh, I really don't want to say a whole lot about it because it's got a, a, a clever storyline. Uh, but that is available on Netflix. And then, uh, one of the other ones that he is in that I'm, I'm really high on and have been for years since I caught it at a film festival is too late. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and for the longest time it was available on Netflix. And so I assumed it still was, and I was going to recommend this as a, like a Netflix double feature to make life easy. Uh, but it's not, I, I searched for it. And in fact, interestingly enough, when i searched for too late, small town crime popped up. Uh, so, um, it is currently, uh, available, you know, in various rental markets, but this is a film where John Hawks, uh, plays a private investigator, uh, who is looking for a missing young woman. And uh, the interesting thing about the setup is it is, I can't remember if it's five or six long takes. It's like five or six takes that are in the neighborhood of like 16 to 18 minutes a piece. And so then to add to the, the complexity, the long takes are shown out of order. Yes. So the first, you know, 
16, 18 minutes of the movie may be the beginning of the movie or it may be the middle of the movie. The next scene may be the end of the movie. It's, it's being shown to you out of order. And then when you see the final chapter, as I will call it, everything else clicks into place for you. And so he's fabulous. I mean, he just inhabits the characters. Like I said, he just looks like, you know, private detective has it written all over him. And, uh, and Robert Forrester is in it. I mean, it, it's just got, uh, Jeff Fahey is in it. A <laughs> blast from the past. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, it's actually made by a filmmaker, uh, from Georgia. He actually went to college in Atlanta and, uh, that was how I first heard about the movie. And then, uh, hats off to the folks at the Chattanooga film festival. Uh, they actually showed it in 35 millimeters. Yes. Um, and, uh, and that was, that was awesome. That movie is a great movie. Um, I actually have, I know this is going to sound real, like this does not sound wonky at all, but I actually have, like, I was so struck by the movie, um, because when it played in LA, it played in 35 millimeter. And then, yep. um, basically what, what he would, uh, what the filmmaker would ask, uh, the places to do would be, um, to switch the reels. No, it was a lot to ask. So I, I think oftentimes, I think they did it once a week where they would mix up the reels because you never knew what like version of the film that you would be seeing because he did that purposely. Uh, awesome. He did that's that. Awesome. He did that purposely. And when I, um, I went to one of the opening, um, <clears throat> like he was, he was at a Q and a on the, one of the opening weekends. Mm-hmm. And I had to see mm-hmm. this because it was you that told me about it because I had heard from other critics that this movie was terrible and that they, they, they really took him down a notch because they said he was being like, you know, an fleetest asshole and stuff like that. But when you talked to me about it, I was like, man, I got to see this movie because Scott's never wrong about movies. Let's just, let's just be honest here. Um, so when I saw it, I didn't understand what these critics and I won't name call them, but I didn't understand what these critics were talking about because when he talked about it, it's all in a love of cinema in how he ingested certain cinema and how he talked yeah. about how yeah. he would go see movies. And sometimes like at the lower rent theaters, these motherfuckers didn't care and they would just put movies together. And if the reels were wrongly labeled, that was all there was to it. And so you would get a movie that had. That's the, interesting. I don't think I've ever heard that explanation for why he did it this way. Yeah. Like, like, and so they never released it on Blu-ray in America, but there was a Japanese Blu-ray that I bought at a pretty reasonable premium at the time. But the great thing about that movie is that it, like it has a randomizer in there that like whenever you play it, it never plays in the same order. Oh, that's awesome. Now, when it was playing on Netflix, <laughs> it did the same thing. It would never play oh, really? on the same. Yeah, I watched it. I didn't it. realize that. I think I, I, think I watched it uh, uh, the one time at the Chattanooga Film Festival, and then I watched it again uh, at the uh, – um, on Netflix. And so I don't I don't think I I realized that. Yeah, but the thing is is this is that on the Blu-ray, the Japanese Blu-ray, it does have the ability to play it linearly. But like Memento, I've never played it linearly because I feel right. like it would it would ruin what I think his intent is, which right. is Break is the spell. Yeah, because the movie is very like reflexive like that's what i loved about it so much is that it it's very much so recalling 
I know that people get mad when somebody invokes like a classic like Pulp Fiction, but in right. a way, it's kind of invoking that in yeah. the in the way that it plays with the 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 aspect of storytelling in a really weird way exactly it plays with it in structure not style yeah and the best part about that movie is that whether you're watching the end the middle whatever it is it plays the movie plays in a really great way and i think it's because of those long takes those long takes are so beautiful and he shot him in 35 which makes it even yep. better Yep. And like, you know, everybody and the stories behind how they got those shots are just amazing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I like if you guys do rent that, um, uh, de definitely take a deep dive on YouTube with the director's um, Q&A's and how he he came up with these or like how he he was able to get these in the way that they were able to get them. So, yeah. yeah, you know, that's great. I love I love that you you uh, I thought that you were going to actually do the um the um jackie brown prequel that he's in oh you yeah. know you know about yeah. yeah i thought that you were actually going to recommend that one which is actually not that bad of a movie it's not a it's not a great it's not as good as too late and i don't know the quality of small time uh small town crimes but um yeah that was another one that i was thinking about like i was like oh maybe he's gonna do the uh i can't <laughs> even think of what that one is called oh god what is that one called um, you know which one I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I do. And, Life of uh, Crime. Uh, Life of Crime. Ah, uh, there you go. Where he plays the Robert De Niro character from Jackie Brown, and most deaf plays the um, Samuel L. Jackson character from Jackie Brown. Interesting. You've, have you never seen? Uh, have you seen that movie? Um, it's called Life of Crime. I'm trying to decide here if I have seen that. It all sounds familiar. Is, is it the one with uh, Jennifer Aniston? Yes. Okay. Okay. No, I've actually not seen this. Oh, you definitely like. I think that you'll dig it. It's 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 not great. Uh, it's not like you know, like we we talk about the pillars of Dutch, like you know, which would be like basically justified is at the top to me at least. Then like something like Jackie Brown, Out of Sight, those are all within. It's right below. Get yeah, get shorty. It's right below that. It's better than Be Cool and Fifty Two Pickup, but it's okay. not as good as like Out of Sight, Get Shorty, and um, sure, and Jackie Brown. But it's like cool. it's it, definitely worth a recommend. I'm not sure if it's still, it used to be on Netflix. I'm going to check right now just to make sure that it's still on Netflix, but um yeah, it's a uh, uh, it's well there's a John Hawks triple feature then yep. if uh if people are interested, but uh but too late is 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 just an experience. Oh, I mean it's just yes. something that you really ought to see. Uh and I was so excited to get to see it at the uh Chattanooga Film Festival. Uh, a few years back, I'm of course brokenhearted, like festival goers all over the country are, uh, concerning a variety of festivals. But uh, Chattanooga was scheduled to be uh, around uh, April 15th, 16th, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, and of course, it's been kind of postponed indefinitely until all of the national situation sorts itself out. Uh, and then uh, I had uh, the Overlook Festival on tap for late May. 
uh, and they just postponed to some dates in October, which to tell you the truth, October in New Orleans can be very nice. Yes, uh, better uh, than getting, summer. <laughs> summer yes, in getting, New Orleans, getting away a little bit from that heat, and so. Uh, but uh, but too late was a festival find for me that I wanted to recommend, and I thought that small town crime uh, pairs nicely with it. Absolutely. Um, there was and a... I did have a couple uh, for horror fans oh, yes. uh, out there. Uh, that I would recommend on streaming services. And of course the goal of this episode was not to, you know, to try not to recommend the obvious uh, and, and try to uh, come up with uh, some titles that may have passed you by. And so uh, one of them is uh, a horror film uh, that is part of the into the dark series that Blumhouse has been doing with Hulu. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, a series that began, I want to say, probably about 18 months ago. And Blumhouse's television division is partnered up with Hulu to produce these kind of you know, 80 to 90 minute horror films. They're not yep. short films because they're not short, short, but they're not like long. They're not like two hours or anything like that. Most of them time in about 80, 85 minutes. And the idea is that the theme of the film will tie in with a holiday in that month. So something <laughs> Valentine's themed. Uh, the new one is St. Patrick's Day uh, themed. Then they have a Christmas one, a Halloween one, a Thanksgiving one. And so they're they're hitting these themes as they go. And so there is one called The Body. Have you seen this by chance? Yes, I have. The Body is a amazing piece of work i i'm surprised that they didn't try to release it theatrically because it's that good yeah exactly and and so the one thing is and and don't get me wrong i'm not knocking uh these things i love people trying new stuff and everything like that but some of them you know aren't much better than say you know network television original horror movies of old Yes. You know, you know, something like that. I mean, just, you know, some, I mean, you could envision that it played for two hours on network television. And if you took out all the commercials, you wound up with, you know, 85 to 90 minutes. And so some of them play almost like network television movies. And we just threw in a little bit of gore uh, to make them, you know, more R rated and things like that. But the body, which I think was, uh, oh, obviously it was one of the Halloween ones. It may have been the very first one of these. I think it actually um, was. I actually yeah, think it was and, number one. And and so the it's it's a clever idea, which is you're following a hitman uh, who is carrying out a hit on Halloween night, and he's got to dispose of the body, <laughs> and in essence, kind of gets caught, so to speak, uh, trying to dispose of the body. But everybody thinks that it's just a killer Halloween costume. Yes. That he's a guy dressed up basically as a hitman dragging a body around with him. And people are asking him, hey, what did you make it out of? And, you know, it seems so heavy. It's not, you know, paper mache, is it or whatever? I mean, that kind of idea. And so in order to kind of not get caught, he's playing along with this idea that he's a dude dressed up for Halloween whose prop 
is carrying around this dead body with him. And then he's just got to figure out a way to break away from these crowds and people and partiers and trick or treaters and all that kind of stuff to dispose of the body. And so one of the reasons that I was recommending it is, you know, the one genre that I just kind of can't do right now is the super bleak horror film. Yeah. You know, I mean, just existentially, I think we all have enough dread <laughs> right now and we all have enough that we're dealing with that, like the hereditaries and the Midsommars and, and things like that, not to pick on Ari Aster, but those were the two that came to mind are awesome films. But right now I just can't do kind of that level of disturbing. And so it's nice to have kind of a little ribbon of humor uh, running through the horror and so uh, that was the reason that I was recommending the body is I think it's cutting above the the best uh, of these into the dark films that Blumhouse has done with Hulu. Uh, and it has a nice sense of humor to it. I mean, it goes from truly just funny, funny to kind of a dark sense of humor to then, you know, creepy and scary. It still has its horror edge to it. Uh, but, and then there are moments and it were like, Oh my God, I can't believe that they just did that. Uh, but, uh, but to me it's, it's kind of out of the vein of horror movies that are truly fun. No. And so that is, is more what I need right now than like, you know, hostile. No, absolutely. And, um, I cannot agree with you more that that one is a, like, I'm actually, I actually just re put it back on my list cause I got to revisit it cause it's such a fun, it's a fun horror movie, but it hurts when it counts. Like, like you were saying, like when it gets dark, it does get dark. Yeah. And it, it never has some stakes to it. So yeah, it never lets you like, what I like is it, it's fun and it's funny, but it never lets you forget the character that you're dealing with as a killer. Yep, and he's great in that part. I can't call the actor's name to mind uh, right this minute. I wasn't that familiar with him, uh, but uh, but he was great. No, uh, I thought he did a terrific job with that part. He, uh, he just the right because it's a tone performance. Yes, you because, know if 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 you overplay it, it's just going to be kind of slapsticky, silly. And if you underplay it, you're going to be like this super serious person in a movie that's supposed to be partly funny. And and he hits the tone right to me. No, absolutely. And it, it a lot of it is is looks and reactions from him. Like, <laughs> exactly. like, which is such a hard thing to do like that. Like to me, that's like the hardest thing to do in any movie is is the reaction and get the reaction tonally correct. Exactly. Um, and I think uh, who was it? Um let me see here. I'm, I'm actually just going to take it. Oh, well, actually, what was your next recommendation? Yeah. And then the next one and, and a lot of of serious horror fans have have seen this. Uh, I have no doubt. But if you are somewhat of a more casual horror fan uh, or just have this one has missed you, uh, it is Mike Flanagan's film Hush. Oh yes, uh, that is that is currently playing on Netflix, and and Mike Flanagan would be an example of one of those people that, you know, in my opinion, at whatever point you get introduced to him, whether you've seen Hush, whether you've seen Gerald's Game, uh, whether you've seen the Netflix series The Haunting of Hill House, you know, at whatever point you get introduced to Mike Flanagan, you should just be going back and watching everything that he's done. 
yep. uh, because Oculus is a great film. I mean, he just has lots of great movies uh, that he's made. But Hush is kind of the one. It's the one that put him on the map with Netflix yep. and, and got him to make Gerald's Game and The Haunting of Hill House. And for the life of me, I can't remember uh, what the uh, the show is that's supposed to be coming out this year. Haunting of uh, Hill House. It's uh, yeah, but it's got a new. They, yeah, they've they've renamed it. It's uh, um, it's not the Haunting of Hill House season two. It's it's called something else altogether, and it's based on Henry James's Turn the of turning, the Screw. The Turn of the Screw. It's actually called Turn of the Screw. Is it? Yeah, I thought it was the something of something house. I thought they I had could, changed that again. Oh, they but, did. Uh, oh Lord. Um, but but anyway, he's yeah. got a, a one season, uh, one series rather on Netflix right now. Uh, multiple movies on Netflix, and uh, then he's got a uh, a new show. Well, he also just did Doctor Sleep, which is uh, an impressive film. Yep, absolutely. And uh, so at some point, let's see. Well, I'm not finding what I was trying to find. Uh, maybe they've gone back to the Haunting of Hill House as the actual title. There's uh, the the Turn of the Screw. There's a house that has a name in that, and so originally. Uh, the the name of the series was going to be different, and it was going to invoke the name of that house. Uh, um, but for branding or whatever, they may have gone back to just calling it The Haunting of Hill House Season 2. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, Mike Flanagan and the movie is Hush, and it's a very simple premise. Uh, it is a deaf woman being stalked by a, by a masked killer. And so the interesting thing is, you know, just taking that premise – and making it work for 90 minutes. Yep. And all the wrinkles, the things that you don't think of, like how do you know how much noise that you are making trying to hide from this guy if you can't hear? Yes. And, you know, just simple things like that, that they ratchet up to some incredible suspense. Well, and the great part is like a lot of these types of movies, when it's a first time filmmaker, they'll pat it out. And he doesn't do any padding. It's 81 minutes with credits, but I would say I'd say 78 minutes of it is like just the actual movie. Like uh, that's what I was I found so impressive. And um, a film that was that yeah, played drops the, you right into it. Yep, and it doesn't yeah. let you go until the end. So like, there's literally it's not like what uh, I like to call it the Carpenter because Carpenter did that. Like he padded out his movie so they would be 90 minutes long. But like Carpenter loved to to just like it, it became atmosphere. But with with Flanagan, he cuts all the fat out and but he still manages to make a movie that is a movie. And what I found so like this is where Netflix became like this is where Netflix is uh super, super great is that they picked him up. They realized yeah. they recognized with Hush that talent spotter. Exactly. But they kept to his like what I find great is that they kept to his talents and let him morph into that because mm -hmm. Oculus was a one a one location move a movie um, Ouija Origin of Evil, which is another movie that he did, which is the sequel to Ouija, but it's one of those rare so cases. Much oh, so much fucking better. It's so, so much. good. Um, but then Gerald's Game, one location, Haunting of Hill House, one location and like they played to his strengths. They let him play to his strengths, which I loved. Um, and like Dr. Sleep is, is, 
is kind of similar in a way, but not. And I think that some people would say that it's a lesser than his other stuff because of like it didn't stick to his strengths. But he also was dealing with a lot of stuff in that movie. I think that that's actually a yeah, movie that I would yeah. love to to talk to you about, like have a spoiler movie, uh, like like do a yeah, double that'd be feature. Fun. Yeah, that'd be fun because yeah, you're right. It is kind of like Mike Flanagan in handcuffs. Exactly. It's like he's he's tied to a book. He's tied to a, you know a masterpiece, he's... legendary initial film, mm-hmm. and so he's got you know a lot of things that he's got a boxes he's got to tick, and can't just necessarily approach something the way that he would. Uh, the amazing thing to me with Hush is anytime you have one of these kind of simple premise movies, I'm always thinking you know. If this thing could just find one more gear, this is going to be amazing. Yes. And each time I thought that during Hush, it did. You know, it was almost like, you know, he's feeling the same thing. And here we need a shift. And here we need another shift. And so anytime you have kind of the simple, you know, we've got a a woman who's at home who can't hear, uh, who has a killer stalking her. And so each time you're thinking, you know, wow, this is really good. But, you know, it'd be nice if we could throw a variation in here somewhere uh, to, you know, breathe new life into this premise. He'd find it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And. Like the performers, like, like, and I think a lot of it is something that, like, I, it's going to be a really weird cutting back into what we were talking about initially about how I was watching Joe Bob, um, the last drive-in. One of the movies he right. covered was The Reanimator, and like it, it kind of hit me in 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 my small tiny heart uh, because he talked like this was before the passing of Stuart Gordon. I mean, we should say we're you know. We're we're talking about uh, we're 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 talking about this post like you know Stuart Gordon just recently passing, so it was it was just a weird coincidence that I was watching this and Reanimator came up. But the point was is that what Joe Bob said the reason why the Reanimator is so good and it came out of like and how it it shocked so many people and came out of left field is the acting because he got. Um, because Stuart Gordon was smart because he ran a theater, he got theater performers. So he didn't go for stars or names. He went for actors. And I think that for me, what Hush does so correctly is the Stuart Gordon approach to things, which is, is that he gets, you know, John Gulliger Jr. and Katie Siegel, the two main characters who are great actors he didn't go for names he went for people that he knew would be good actors like even even like you know michael turco who who shows up he's a good actor like like right. i think that he doesn't get enough credit uh from battlestar galactica uh, like i think the whole entire fucking cast of battlestar galactica never got the credit that they deserved at how fucking good they were Mm-hmm. in that show i mean mm-hmm. you know that that's a that's a discussion for another time but <laughs> like the fact that like you know he casted these two actors and they were actors they weren't stars i think that's what informs for me what makes hush amazing um and like you do know that katie siegel is his wife right 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 yeah, yeah exactly yeah exactly Oh, which is which is pretty which is pretty uh pretty crazy. Like I think that she actually on Hush she did hair and makeup too. Like like it was like a very small small affair. Yeah, it was it was 
he was one that that hit festivals and made big impression at festivals, and after only hitting just a few festivals, got picked up by Netflix uh, to go onto their service. And I'm imagining because Netflix is you know so metrics driven, uh, of course, that uh, I imagine that not only did they spot him as somebody with talent, but I'm assuming Hush probably ran wild on their service, and they said let's lock this guy down to like a production deal. And so uh, then you get, you know, uh, movies and television series and things like that from him uh, made solely for for Netflix. Absolutely. And I would say that he is like one of their biggest successes. Like everybody wants to talk about how, you know, uh, they all want to talk about like, you know, the Duffer Brothers and Stranger Things and stuff. But right. the Duffer Brothers only did Stranger Things for them. They've only done Stranger Things like Mike right. Flanagan has has considered has gone and produced like, you know, multiple films, um, multiple TV series. Now, I feel like The Haunting of Hill House helps a great deal that they have they have Amblin behind that. Like, Amblin was the reason why that was produced, um, which is pretty, like, you know, that makes sense to me because they've, like, since the early, two, like, I think it's, like, since the mid-90s, they've been doing these haunted house movies. I mean, Spielberg just likes certain things, you can tell. Um, I mean... He did The Haunting. He did that remake of The Haunting that was Jan de Bont, and I did not care for that. But um, The House with Clocks, The Haunting of Hill House, The Turning. He did The Turning that was, that, like, which is weird to me. Like, they produced The Turning, the movie that came out in January, but they also are doing this Flanagan sequel, which is based on Turn the Screw, which is the same adaptation, just a, a TV version of it. Um, but... He's one of those great, like, he's like what I like to call like the, like, because we're in the streaming era, he is one of the directors that have, or, or creatives that have come out of the streaming area era as a newfangled, like, creative. Like, yep. he is very much so of an era where it's not box office that matters. It's literally, and this is kind of weird in a weird way. Like, and uh, let me, let me know if you feel the same way, is that it's it's almost democratized because it's not about a box office it's about who's like about how much it's being talked about between people right like, like it's like it's being passed around like a good book like when books used to like you remember like um you probably are old enough to remember and i hate and like it sounds like an insult but it's not but um i've always read and my uh, like my parents told me about World According to Garp is like one of my favorite movies, and it's also one of my favorite books. But mm -hmm. the rumor, like my mom and my dad used to tell me about before, like I got to read it, um, they told me about how the book was like this phenomenon that people would just pass on. It became this word mm -hmm. of word of mouth, yeah, word of mouth bestseller, absolutely, exactly, where people would pass it on, and then people would buy other copies for other people. And Flanagan feels like that. He doesn't feel like this organic box office numbers like thing where it's like oh he made a hundred million dollar movie no it was just he made great fucking movies that got passed around by everybody <laughs> i i found the answer to my question by okay. the way okay they Let's have hear. kept they have kept the uh, i thought i remembered that it was you know kind of an anthology type idea mm -hmm. and that we would be moving on to a new location with a new cast of characters and everything like that okay uh and so it is called the haunting of bly manor ah so okay. we had the haunting of Hill House, and then next is the haunting of Bly Manor, 
And then, uh, apparently, uh, according to recent, uh, uh, news on, um, the AV club, uh, he then is following that with another Netflix horror series called midnight mass. Hmm. And we uh, just mentioned Kate Siegel, who was hmm. in Hush, and she's going to be one of the principals on Midnight Mass. And okay. so it is going to be a seven-episode series uh, set in an isolated community which experiences strange events upon the arrival of a mysterious young priest. <laughs> that so sounds. We're going to keep getting Netflix horror from Mike Flanagan. That is a good. That is a great thing. That almost sounds like a Needful Things adaptation. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> Except instead of a little curio shop owner, uh, we have a uh, we have a, a young priest coming to town. <laughs> and now, like now that I say that, I I kind of wanted a Needful Things that like a Netflix Needful Things series <laughs> He's from. Done such a good job with adapting King that it's like you know you just want to keep throwing Stephen King properties at him. Oh God, yes. Oh God, yes. Could you imagine? I mean, oh, oh. Especially if you get to do it series length. Oh you yeah. Know? Like oh I yeah. Think the Outsider on HBO has proven that you know. If you give a Stephen King novel a little bit more room to breathe, it has a whole lot more impact. And you hire somebody like a Richard Price. Like, let's be yep. honest. Like the reason oh, yeah. Richard Price, Dennis Lehane. I mean, yep. it's a who's who of of uh, of crime writers uh, taking a Stephen King crime slash horror novel and, and bringing it to life. No, absolutely. Uh, like that's uh, that is actually something that we have on our docket to discuss. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that could be an episode unto itself. Just discussing uh, the outsider. Absolutely. I mean, cause there's just so many, like you said, there's so many heavy hitters, Dennis Lehane, uh, Richard Price. I, I mean, even like, which is really odd to say now because, and, and we'll close with this, but it's really weird to say that jason bateman has become a serious as shit filmmaker yeah yeah well you know he uh uh in the world of of tv what is occupying my time right now is the new season of ozark and i think you just wrapped it up too yes uh and he directed some of those episodes yeah so I mean, he directed a couple episodes of the outsider and then uh, he directed uh, some episodes of uh, of uh, the new season of Ozark. So yeah, his uh, his behind the camera work uh, is is really interesting as well. No, absolutely, absolutely. And with that, guys, uh, I think that we've given you more than enough uh, stuff to to chew on um, in this episode. And if anything, just to entertain you guys and maybe have you go to, uh, you know, a couple of those uh, streaming sites and a couple of those films. And who knows, maybe you might find something that you haven't watched. Um, So with that, we'll be back. Um, We're going to be doing this. uh, We're going to be doing this at least once a week with Scott. And then um, we're going to be lining up some guests to be on to to kind of just talk about what they've been watching watching and uh see where it all heads because you know we've all got a lot of time in our hands now
I see my hopes and dreams.